Please be seated. I was in a women's a cappella singing group in graduate school up in seminary called the Sacramental Winers. We sang a lot of religious music, although not exclusively, but we were sometimes invited to sing at local churches or in the graduate school chapel. On one of those occasions, we sang a version of the 23rd Psalm at the noon chapel service on campus. Composer and singer Bobby McFerrin paraphrased Psalm 23 and dedicated it to his mother on her deathbed. The Lord is my shepherd, I have all I need. She makes me lie down in green meadows. Beside the still waters she will lead. She restores my soul, she rights my wrongs. She anoints my head with oil, and she fills my heart with song. While we sang it, four people got up and left. One of them was a liturgics professor who was later reported as saying that it was offensive to him to paraphrase anything as beloved as the 23rd Psalm. With the possible exception of the Lord's Prayer, I can't think of any poem or group of verses in Scripture more often memorized than the 23rd Psalm. Long known as a psalm of thanksgiving where the psalmist is Thanking God for deliverance from any number of frightening situations, the 23rd Psalm has become standard reading at funerals for those struggling with illness, for frightened children. The nature of the Psalm is that it is soothing, it's strengthening, it's uplifting. It's a reminder that we are not alone, even in our darkest times. Because those dark times are universal. The causes are different, but the darkness visits every one of us sooner or later. It is part of the reality of being human that we must be touched by sickness or loss or death or fear. It is part of being human that we are lonely and that we are needy. And this psalm speaks to that darkness reminding us of what so many other stories in our scripture have told us time and time again, we are not alone in the dark. I disagree with my professor's assessment of McFerrin's work. I disagree with the sentiment in general. I think that when a piece of scripture is as beloved as this one is, it need not be handled as if it is fragile or that it will disintegrate under our scrutiny. The 23rd Psalm has stood the test of centuries precisely because it can be prayed, it can be mumbled, it can be wept, it can be shouted, it can be whispered. It can be set to music or rearranged to suit the one who needs to hear the words. And in this particular instance, in this particular psalm, I really doubt if God cares if we muddle with the wording so long as we understand the meaning. We are not alone. We are guided. We are cared for. One of the things I have long appreciated about the Psalms of Thanksgiving, Psalm 23 in particular, is that I 
I'm removed from the center of it. And my life, my grief, my fear become refocused, centered on God, the one that sustains and accompanies me. In Psalm 23's case, God is literally at the center of the psalm. Fifty-five words long, you are with me, is exactly in the middle. So when I read Psalm 23, when I recenter my own life on that which, as Jeffrey is always saying to us, is of ultimate worth, I am reminded that it is God that is the Alpha and the Omega, not me. Jesus is the defeater of death, not me. The Holy Spirit is the advocate and the comforter, not me. And I am comforted by this, by the knowledge that I do not need to be in charge, that I do not need to control everything. I can just let that go, and I can let God be my companion and my guide, the one who sets a table before me. I can let the community of God care for me. I read a blog-style article earlier this week by a young woman who professes to sporadically attending an Episcopal church. Largely, it appears from her article, for the access to programs for her young daughter. The article was saddening. It was disheartening to me. The article, who was turned off in childhood by painful experiences in a more fundamentalist branch of Christianity, spilled a great deal of ink on the aesthetics of our buildings, our cars, and our clothes, and an equally great amount of ink disavowing the baptismal covenant, her own misreading of which gave her an existential ulcer for its disingenuity. In the end, she concludes, Ultimately, religion closes doors rather than opens them. It stops conversation, shuts down curiosity, and puts a padlock on creativity. It's like cake. A small piece is fine, but too much will put you in a diabetic coma. Now, part of what is wonderful about the Episcopal Church is that we have people from all backgrounds working together, worshiping together, getting this work of God done. People from every place in the faith journey are welcome here to try out this that we have to offer. Many, many people stay, struggling through their own confusion and misperception, moving forward, moving backward, making connections, forming communities, figuring out how to love God, to love Christ, to love one another. And this author is no exception Despite her hesitations, her desire to hold belief out at arm's length, she can and will be welcome among us, muddling through as we all do to varying degrees of competency. It's not the author's broad brush painting of our wardrobe and our bank accounts that saddens me, or even her misunderstanding of the baptismal covenant. My skin is thicker than that, and it continues to thicken through years of critique of this church this denomination, this faith that I love. If I believed that our community were really like the one she describes, I wouldn't be terribly interested in it either. If our beliefs were like the one she describes, it would turn me off too. I too would get an existential ulcer. She misunderstood what she was witnessing. That doesn't bother me. 
What saddens me is that this young author, like so many others like her, is missing out on opportunities that the one that Psalm 23 represents for me and for Bobby McFerrin and for centuries of intellectuals and artists and sojourners and laborers before us. We who believe in this God have a belief structure that allows us to understand that the world around us can be a dark and difficult place. We know that it is not up to God to protect us from the valley of the shadow of death, but that God has promised to travel with us and has shown us again and again and again that we are not alone. This belief enables us to work toward freedom from fear, from being bound to victimhood, or being beholden to our own belly button gazing. It enables us to let go of a white-knuckled grip on our circumstances, on our lives, on our deaths. We who believe in this God, we are not perfect. We mess up. We hurt each other. We hurt ourselves. We witness death. We die. Failure is as part of our daily lives as breathing. But we know, somewhere inside, we know that our failure is no match for God's forgiveness. And when we hurt one another, we have a chance to practice that self-same forgiveness, never alone. Freedom from loneliness, forgiveness, community, love, none of these are exclusive to Christianity. They aren't exclusive to any religious life. They can be found in neighborhoods and families and schools and clubs. All of those are fine places to experience some of what we find in the Gospels and in belief in Jesus Christ, our Savior. I deeply and sincerely hope that those who do not find freedom in our beliefs can find it somewhere. All of God's beloved creation deserve to know themselves loved and forgiven and freed. I wonder, though, if there is anywhere other than scripture and in the strength of a community of God that these particular words could have been spoken. I forgive you. You took something very precious away from me. I will never get to talk to her ever again. I will never be able to hold her hand again. But I forgive you. If God forgives you, I forgive you. Those are the words of Nadine Collier, the daughter of Ethel Lance, to the man who shot her mother at Emmanuel AME Church during a Bible study. And Wanda Simmons, granddaughter of another victim, Daniel Simmons, although my grandfather and other victims died at the hands of hate, this is proof. Everyone's plea for your soul is proof that they lived in love and that their legacies will live on in love. So hate won't win. Hate won't win, she says. Death won't win. I have no doubt that the people of Emmanuel AME Church have been praying the 23rd Psalm repeatedly over the last month, as have the congregations of churches burned around the country in the last few weeks. 
reminded that darkness will try, that evil is indeed present. But in the end, God reigns over all. Hate won't win. Death won't win because we are accompanied by a God who walks our roads, who comforts us, who anoints our heads, who sets a table before us. Those of us who believe in this God know that we are followed by goodness and by mercy and that we see that goodness and mercy in the faces of those community members far and wide and close and near that surround us. This is our baptismal covenant. This is our 23rd Psalm. This is our Lord's Prayer. Through the goodness of a God we love but don't entirely understand, we are forgiven and loved and freed. Amen.